When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. On Commons People this week, Matt Hancock resigns in disgrace. Those of us who make these rules have got to stick by them, and that's why I've got to resign. Sajid Javid returns as his replacement. In truth, no date we choose comes with zero risk for COVID. We know we cannot simply eliminate it. We have to learn to live with it. And our school's heading towards a COVID crisis. We are in danger of creating a generation of ghost children denied a proper chance to climb the education ladder of opportunity. Hello and welcome to Commons People. I'm Arj Singh and joining me this week is Paul War. Hi Arj. Hi Paul and we've got the Conservative MP and Education Select Committee Chair Rob Halfon. Hello. Nice Hi Rob. Yeah good to, good to have you back and uh, you join us fittingly from a school. Yes, I've just uh, been visiting the Ashcroft uh, Technical Academy uh, School in South London in Putney, pretty extraordinary school, and they very kindly just given me this room to do the podcast in. I've just been meeting students and talking to the teachers and stuff. Great, well, we'll come on to schools in a bit, but first of all, what a week it's been with Matt Hancock forced to resign as Health Secretary for breaking COVID rules after being caught on camera kissing his aide, Gina Cola D'Angelo, in his office in early May. There are also questions over Hancock's appointment of the aide and his use of a private email account to allegedly conduct government business. Meanwhile, there was a Phoenix-like return to the cabinet for Sajid Javid as Hancock's replacement, and the new health secretary has made clear he is far more sceptical of lockdown restrictions than his predecessor. Let's have a listen. Whilst we decided not to bring forward step four, we see no reason to go beyond the 19th of July. Because, in truth, no date we choose comes with zero risk for COVID. We know we cannot simply eliminate it. We have to learn to live with it. Uh, Paul, Javid's come in and immediately sort of pitched himself as as a far more of a lockdown sceptic than Hancock, but he didn't bring forward stage four of the roadmap, despite data being pretty good. Is it just clever politics from Sajid? I actually think it is clever politics because uh, at a stroke, um, you've got a new face there and his main message was the one which is, look, you know, we're not quite ready for to doing a July 5th opening, but we we definitely on track for July 19th. So everyone heard the last bit and not the first bit, particularly Tory backbenches, some of whom have been sort of itching for an earlier on lockdown. So I thought it was quite shrewd to do that, to emphasise that. And the fact that he's got a lot of goodwill on the Tory backbenches really makes a difference. I have to say that goodwill towards um, Matt Hancock was quite skin deep as we saw in the chamber when um, Jeremy Hunt actually tried to pay tribute to uh, Matt Hancock and that there was a sort of deafening silence and you think you realize at that point 
you know, in previous oral statements when Matt Hancock has sort of won the support of uh, ventures for the rollout in their constituency for, you know, the vaccines and praised him, that it was really very, very shallow, that support. And actually it shows that in politics, you really do have to be nice to people and you do have to sort of build alliances over time. And I think that's why Sajid Javid actually does have that advantage. People like Rob, who know him well for many years, um, and Tim Montgomery, you know, they, they've seen him around in good times and bad. And um, what you see is what you get, what he says in private and what he says in public. I think that, that really is a, a huge asset for a politician. But it's interesting that, yeah, we talk about how shrewd he was. I thought what was interesting was, yeah, he is more sceptical uh, and he, he's definitely obviously in favour of he stress. He's talking about his role was to unlock the economy as much as to help our health. Um, but he was really careful in answer to Lucy Allen, you know, um, when she said, you're going to lift all the restrictions. He was careful not to say that. So I think he's clearly a quick learner who would got a decent briefing from his advisors about, you know, don't, you know, put any hostage to fortune just yet and be careful about it. So I thought that was quite interesting. His language, I thought, was interesting as well. You know, he talks about this whole thing about July 19th is an ex not the end of the line, but the start of an exciting new journey. Um, as I wrote in my column, you know, it was, it was not quite the... Uh, the poetry of Boris Johnson, it was much more sort of like describing a rail replacement service at that terminus, really. But um, I think people want boring right now. You know, they don't want flamboyant. They don't want, they don't want spin. So that's quite useful for him. Uh, Rob, yeah, you must be pleased to see Sajid back in the cabinet. Um, as Paul mentioned there, you know, he's been he's pitched himself as a lockdown sceptic. Do you think he does have to deliver a lifting of all restrictions on July 19th? Well, I'm very pleased that Sanchez is back in government because not many would, people would have given up the chancellorship in the way that um, he did uh, 18 months or so uh, ago. But I think he's going to be a good health secretary because, first of all, he understands big organisations. He's run big organisations and the NHS is huge employer. I mean, it's the biggest employer in my constituency of Harlow, the, the local hospital, uh, Princess Alexandra. And he also understands the business of government because he's been local government secretary, treasury, uh, worked at the treasury, been chancellor, business secretary, culture secretary. He's also worked a lot on social care when he was the minister for local government and communities. So the experience is there and that's very important. But the third thing, which I think is Sajid's great asset is because of his background and the kind of person that he is, that I think that Paul was alluding to. Um, he was brought up in quite uh, humble beginnings and they he has a dedication to the public sector and public service and he recognizes that there is a umbilical cord between the british people and the national health service and i think that uh, that is really important uh, so i think he he i think obviously he he believes he, he knows the damage that lockdown has done to the economy and uh, i think he will want to make sure that the economy gets moving but uh, at the end of the day i'm sure that he will listen to the the scientists and Chris Whitty and and Valance and so on because uh, uh, I think he, he you know he knows that these people are in the know and uh, I think he'll follow what they say quite seriously even if the emphasis is slightly different. Yeah interesting that you mentioned his background there Rob do you think he might be more alive to this one issue that has been plaguing this government throughout Covid which is um, supporting people for self-isolation the government seems to have a bit of a blind spot on this do you think he might argue maybe a bit more strongly for for better support for people to self-isolate given his background or am i making a bit of a leap 
I, I don't know. I mean, I think that he will be very compassionate. Um, he's, you know, as previously as Treasury Minister and other roles, he passionately supported further education, for example. Uh, and uh, um, I, I think that he will. I think now, actually, him and Gavin Williamson are the only two secretaries of state who went to an FE college um, because everyone else has gone to went to university. Um, Saji went to university as well, but I don't. I think they're the only two that have gone to an FE college, as far as I, I'm aware. But I don't know what he'll be like on every issue, but I think there will be a real a feeling of warmth and compassion for the importance of the health service. I think, interestingly, I know it's a little known fact, I think actually Matt Hancock briefly went to an FE college. I know it's hard to believe, but um, I think he did for part of his, his sort of uh, sixth form years. Um, but only, anyway, only you would know such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't you think, Rob, one thing I thought, you listed his previous jobs there. Isn't the danger that actually, although he's a new broom, he's an old face in the sense that, you know, he's, I, I looked at him, he's the only cabinet minister who served under Cameron, May and Johnson. He's the only one. And yeah, he, he's, he's done lots of jobs, but is there a danger of him being seen as a sort of jack of all trades, master of none, and that maybe just the fact that he's come back just thinks it plays into Labour's thing like, look, look, the Tories, you know, it's a tired old party. You just get the same retreads. Um, well, I think because he hasn't been around for a while on the front bench, I don't think that would be the case. And I think he's more akin to John Reid, who was hugely respected in the Labour governments. That, And it's interesting, actually, if you think about it, that three prime ministers have called on Sajid to serve in the cabinet. So there must be something special about the guy. And I'm not just saying that because I've known him since university he's a he's a remarkable individual he's got big attention to detail and a work ethic but the decency is incredibly important because a lot of people in politics don't have they may be very clever but they don't have emotional intelligence and and, and you, again you were alluding to that and Sajid has a high level of emotional intelligence and warmth to people I think uh, you know will he'll be able to bring people bring people on side yeah interesting um, uh, Paul Rob sort of mentioned it there. Another huge issue in Javid's intro is social care. How, how do you think he'll deal with that? Um, do you think he'll be favour in favour of the Dilnot approach that the PM seems to be backing? I think he may well do. I mean, I think Matt Hancock was as well. The big obstacle, obviously, is the Treasury. Um, and that, has to, I think, is one huge advantage Sage has got, is having been Chancellor. He can construct the arguments that the Treasury likes. And that's a, such an invaluable experience, I think. I mean, you saw it a bit when um, Philip Hammond was at the Ministry of Defence. You know, he's a, he was a former Chief Secretary uh, in opposition. So he arrived at the Ministry of Defence. He knew they had to, when he was making a case to Osborne, he had to make it count. He couldn't just plead a special pleading on behalf of the armed forces. So he got some decent cash. And I think it might be the same for Sajid. Um, obviously, the PM's priority is the NHS, so he's got a fair wind with the Treasury. But um, in terms of more money, I think he, it's just the way he constructs those arguments that civil servants in the Treasury will listen to. He knows what the line-by-line -line analysis is like in a spending review, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that will be really helpful to him. On social care, I think what's really interesting is that Sajid is the one person who was acting as a fiscal break on Boris Johnson in the 2019 general election. Everyone forgets this. You know, when they went in that general election, you didn't see much of Sajid, but what you did see was he was the one insisted in that manifesto, no increase in NI, no increase in VAT, no increase in income tax, true Tory values in, in, in you know, as a sort of break on the PM's, you know, spend it while you can approach. Um, and I thought that that the consequences of that are still being lived with. So on social care, for example, where are you going to get the money from? I think he and Rishi will together try and find a pot of cash 
Maybe they'll hypothecate it. Maybe they'll go through local authorities, but they'll find the money and they'll have to find a case for where that money comes from because it's not going to come from those usual rises that chances rely on. Yeah, Rob, I don't know if what you made of that, uh, how you think Javid might deal with social care. Well, I think the Paul's point is because he knows how to negotiate with the Treasury, that will make a huge difference. Um, I suspect he'll look at it in a, with a fresh pair of eyes. Uh, I think he will... Want, uh, they, he will have had views about what should have happened in the past when he was local government um, secretary of state. Um, but I, who knows how it's going to go? But I, I think it will be looked at freshly, definitely. Interesting. And, and just turning to Hancock for a moment, Rob, last time you were on the podcast, we were talking about Boris Johnson wasting political capital by trying to defend untenable positions. Do you think that happened here with his initial defence of Hancock? Well, I think there is a... You know, when a colleague is in uh, sort of free fall, there is a natural tendency because it's your tribe at the moment to sort of try and reach out to that colleague. And I think that's why that happened. But I mean, as Matt Hancock himself uh, acknowledged, I think what the key thing was, was not that he had a relationship. It was the key thing was the COVID rules, that that's what the members of the public were. I didn't have any any member of the public contact me about the situation itself other than the rules and um, I think if it had been another time it would have been a very different you know if it had not happened in Covid times it would have been a very different story but, you know having said that I think Matt Hancock should be remembered for some good things as well as the bad I mean sadly politics you're only remembered for the last thing that you've done um, and but um, I think the vaccination program at the end of the day he was head of it and it was pretty remarkable the hospital building program in, in Harlow, we're going to have, we're, we're one of the top six, so that's going to be built first. And that, he came to my hospital and, um, you know, he, he helped make that happen. So I, I feel indebted to him, even if, you know, there's always a feeling, you know, oh goodness, great, you know, whatever. But um, so I, I hope that he's remembered for the good things as well as, as, well as the recent events. Do you think, Rob, that actually, uh, did you get quite a lot of anger in your post bag or your emails? I mean, you're very good on this. You, you're used to weeding out what you call the usual suspects, you know, who'll be angry about everything. But uh, and the ordinary voter, was there a sense of, look, this does look awful, it's one real for them? Um, not, uh, there were a few genuine people, as opposed to, let's say, opposition people, but a few genuine people wrote in, but it was mainly about COVID rules, not about the issue. Um, because people have really, really suffered um, because of not being able to see loved ones and hug people and so on. And that is very, very hard for people. And, and so when they see the elite breaking the rules, they hate it, understandably. Having said all that, um, compared to Barnard Castle, there's no comparison. I mean, I had hundreds and hundreds of emails and from my own association as well. So it, was, it wasn't just the members of the public. It wasn't even just opposition people. It was my own association who were up in arms about it so it was very very different it may have been because we were in tighter lockdown at that time i don't know yeah it's interesting maybe the pm should have a, a health on rule rather than the hancock rule which is you know um don't defend the indefensible um because uh you know you'll get then all your backbenchers who have done the defending will look a bit daft later has i've learned not to reply to emails until after a few days uh <laughs> okay, i i, I never because when you get those you just never know what's gonna happen but i i was actually sure in my mind that matt would probably resign by the weekend i was actually sure of it and he did actually and to be fair to the prime minister that 24 hours later he had resigned so um you know but it's sad these things happen because i i, I feel uncomfortable when people are destroyed in 
in politics, whether they were responsible for it or not is not the issue. It just, you know, it's just always, it's always sad when these things happen in my view. But Rob, if you could see it coming, surely Downing Street should have seen it coming and that he had to go. He, he was gone by Saturday evening. So, I mean, when, I, when, when did it come out? Was it Thursday or Friday morning? Friday morning, yeah. So it wasn't that long. Like but they said that what was baffling was the lobby briefing where they said the prime minister thinks the case is closed and the matter is going. We were absolutely shocked at that. That there wasn't even like let's wait and see sort of response to number ten. It was very strange. Well, lucky I'm not uh, one of you lot doing attending these kind of uh, briefings. So uh, I, I, again, I think it's because there is a nat when it's your tribe, there's a natural wish to put, put a protective arm around somebody who is in free fall. Um, but to anyone, you know, it was very, very likely that he, uh, I was pretty sure that he was going to go that he, and that he would resign himself. I was pretty sure it was going to happen. Fair enough. Uh, Rob, I'm just going to put you on the spot here because you've got a good line in Game of Thrones comparison. So, it's that, yeah. or, or Tolkien. Or Tolkien, sorry, sorry, sorry. Game of Thrones, I mean, that is like, oh my God, that's like an insult. Oh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm really, I'm really sorry. I wouldn't even say it's a man's version of Tolkien because it's an insult to Tolkien. Well, is, is the, having said that, I did like the TV series, apart from the last one, which was rubbish, but I like most of them, yeah. Well, Sajid Javid then, is there a Tolkien character that he'd fit with his return to the cabinet this week? Um, yeah, I would probably say, I think it is Faramir, in, uh, who is uh, someone who's often forgotten about, you know, and, and uh, he wasn't the favoured son of, uh, or the favoured nephew of King Theoden, but he, uh, sorry, no, he was the son of Denethor, I'm getting confused here, he wasn't the favoured son of Denethor, but he, he came to the fore and married the beautiful Eowyn, Eowyn, are you a Lord of the Rings fan, any of you, I don't know. Was Boromir played by, uh, by um, Faramir, Sean B? Faramir. Was he, was he, was he, was he Sean Bean? No, um, he wasn't Sean Bean. Sean, actually, maybe I might be getting them wrong, but I'm thinking of the son of, um, no, that was Boromir, who was, who was Sean ah, right. So I am getting it right. Faramir is um, the son of Denethor, who was neglect, neglected, but actually came to the fore and proved, proved to be pretty cool. Right. Um, and uh, so uh, towards the end of the rings, and he falls in love with the beautiful Eowyn. Again, she was also... Uh, denied um, because she was a woman, she was denied uh, fighting the in the major battles. But she still went anyway and disguised herself so she could. And she had a major hand in slaying the witch king with um, one of the hobbits. So, uh, so Eowyn's pretty amazing. Well, but I wouldn't say Sajid's Eowyn. I'd probably say he's Faramir. All your listeners are going to think I'm completely bonkers now. By the way, because <laughs> he's the comeback kid. So. He's the comeback kid, basically. He's the comeback kid, yeah. yeah. Faramir is the comeback kid. That's exactly it. Excellent. Well, um, since you're in a... I do apologise to your <laughs> listeners. They really will. No, I think they'll love it. They're probably as, 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 as talking as you are. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've sort of seen the films but not read the books, and I know who you're talking about, so I yeah, think we're yeah. good. Um, but since you're in a school, Rob, three months after reopening following lockdown, the spotlight is firmly back on schools and how to help children who've lost so much learning time during the pandemic. The government has confirmed it is looking at scrapping isolation for contacts of pupils infected with COVID from autumn, but Labour wants the government to move much quicker, calling for an urgent review to ensure fewer pupils and parents' lives are disrupted. Meanwhile, the government's former catch-up czar, Kevin Collins, was this week scathing about plans to help pupils get back up to speed. Uh, and Labour MP Russian Ali tied the two issues together in the Commons. Let's listen. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. With nearly 400,000 children and young people out of school just last week from COVID-related reasons, the government's failures to secure our borders against the Delta variant has demonstrated the damage it's doing to children and their future. And given those failures and the incompetence, frankly, of the Secretary of State over the last year in getting a grip and supporting school children, isn't it time that he worked with the Chancellor to get the funding that's needed for catch-up, as was recommended by the former catch-up czar, Sir Kevin Collins. Paul, is this becoming a bit of a perfect storm? Thousands of children missing school for isolation purposes while not enough is being done on catch-up? I think it is a problem um, because it sort of it brings to dramatic life the problems in schools. I mean, you know, it's a very much a real world issue for parents who are having to, you know, take time off work to look after kids because suddenly they're told with very short notice, look, your whole year bubble's gone out or the class has gone out and you've got to do a bit of homeschooling. And that might mean you have to, you know, avoid a shift for work if you're a zero hours worker or whatever, you know, people were trying to make ends meet, it's tough, as well as on top of that being tough to homeschool anyway. So yeah, I think it's an issue. Um, and it cuts across all classes. This is what's really quite politically difficult for the government about it, you know, it's affecting everybody. And yeah, all right, the government try and play it down by saying as a fraction of the total is not a lot, but it's 330,000 kids is a lot, you know, um, in one the most recent statistics. And I think um, Rob's committee heard some very powerful evidence from Sir Kevin Collins this week, where he talked on a wider issue of the catch up and the fact the government wasn't providing enough cash for it. And more important than that, it wasn't about the quantum, it was about the urgency. And I think both issues are about urgency on behalf of the government. Are you, are you doing anything quickly enough to act before the end of term to stop these kids missing out on these fantastic social things like the end of year production or going on a school trip? The things that really matter if you're at the end of primary school, for example, you're saying goodbye to all your friends and suddenly it's, it's kind of been pulled away from you. And I can't overstate enough just how much that matters to kids as well as their parents. And it's a reminder, and I know Rob's good on this, that you know education is the, the whole person. It's not just about academic targets, it's about vocational, it's about mental health. And I think that that's why this really matters. Um, so it, it's, it's been an, a microcosm of the problems the government's facing, but it's really about urgency. So there's a, a lack of urgency in terms of reviewing, can you tell schools, give them some decent quick guidance on how those, those trials have gone with daily testing, which seemed very sensible. There was one in Bolton this week, so brilliant um but also lack of urgency on the funding for catch-up you know why not get that money in in a special summer statement before the spending review where you can then allow schools to get ready for the start of term or at least a head start on it whereas they might be waiting until december you know with the spending review and i think that's the thing it is again this feeds into the perception of a government that's maybe a bit too tired if it can't react quickly to things now i know there's treasury rightful treasury wanted to take a step and say look we've got to consider things but you know this has been going on since the beginning of the year the kevin collins stuff so i don't know what rob thinks but and i'd be interested to hear but i i think it's that lack of urgency that matters yeah please do come in rob i mean paul there talked about um you know innovative testing regimes in in schools for example in bolton and i believe such as in the school you're in and also that the need for cash urgently i just wondered what you made of those two points 
Yeah, so I, I think uh, it's, I've said this before on your podcast when I've been on that this past 18 months has been nothing short of a national disaster for children. And I've described it as the four horsemen of the COVID apocalypse in terms of educational attainment, mental health, safeguarding and loss of potential loss of life time earnings. And yesterday in, in Parliament, I talked about the ghost children because not only people are focusing on the 385,000 pupils who've been sent home because of COVID-related reasons, but what we're all, what they're less focusing on is the fact that there are close to, well, it's actually 93,500 pupils who are missing, who haven't returned to school at all, often from vulnerable backgrounds. And what on earth is going on to bring these kids back to school? And there are, as the Secretary of State said, so-called REACT teams, but clearly it's not, they're not able to do enough. I mean, this, the school that I am in now, that I visited this morning, it's genuinely inspirational. It's called the Ash Ashcroft Technical School Academy. 98% attendance. When they have a COVID outbreak, they do not send the whole year groups or whole bubbles home. They micro-target the students who've been effective, so they've uh, affected, so they only send a few at a time, a bit like the Asian model in some ways, what goes on in South Korea and so on. And um, that is, uh, and when I asked them, well, how, how come you do this? And they said, well, they speak to public health and then they speak to the Department of Education every time there is such an outbreak and they're advised that um, they're able to do this. So if they are, why are kids, 385,000 kids uh, being sent home? And I appreciate, of course, it's very difficult for teachers and support staff. Absolutely. And they're doing a remarkable job considering, but clearly the guidance is confusing and people may be being told, schools may be being told different things by different arms of PHE or the DFE, the Department for Education. So education must be a priority. And my thing is we talked a lot about the NHS in this podcast. Why is it that the NHS can have a 10 year plan and 20 billion extra funding even pre-COVID plus all the COVID funding? Why is it that there is a strategic review for the Defence Department, the MOD, with a 16 billion increase, why can't there be the same impetus to have a, a long, a 10-year plan for education, a long-term funding settlement that is focused, in my view, around three things, to prepare the COVID damage, to deal with the uh, addressing social injustices in education in terms of the attainment gap between disadvantaged groups and their better off peers, and particularly big cohorts like white working class people from disadvantaged backgrounds, 900,000 of them who are struggling at every stage of the education system compared to most other ethnic groups. And also to look at our curriculum in the round to prepare to make sure given the difficult employment situation is going to be not just because of COVID, but because of the arrival of the fourth industrial revolution to turn our education system round to make sure that it better prepares pupils for the world of work. And in this school, they teach academic knowledge and they believe passionately in knowledge and high standards, but they also uh, teach vocational and science subjects um, and encourage pupils to do design and technology, which has fallen by the wayside. Um, so it's, it's quite a remarkable place uh, to, to, to be, but it shows what can be done. We just need that long-term plan. We need the secure funding settlement. And, um, uh, uh, it must be seen as a priority as much as the economy and health and defence. Just just on um, the, the kind of Asian style testing and isolation system they've got going there, to, do you think that should or could be rolled out across the country? I mean, we've got the tests, haven't we? We've got loads of tests. Yeah, I, got, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, there's very different circumstances in some schools. The outbreaks may be greater, um, that they may have many staff off sick because of COVID or for 
off for COVID-related reasons or shielded. So I get it, it's not possible to replicate it, but if one school can do it, there must be others who can do it. It doesn't mean every school can do it, but just because every school can't do it doesn't mean that even if five more schools do, did it, it, we can't, it's got to stop sending kids home. I mean, we are damaging their mental health. So, so the kids I spoke to here are really aspirational, want to achieve. Um, they've got 25% of, of kids on free school meals here. Uh, they've got, I think, over 70% ethnic from ethnic backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds. And um, they all said they struggled with, not all of them, but some of them said they struggled with their mental health during lockdown. And, and we're damaging these children by being at home because inevitably they're not learning as much as they would do at school, but we're, uh, their well-being and mental health is really suffering. And their parents is putting huge pressure on the parents. So this has just got to stop. We need our kids back into school. People have been vaccinated now. I'm not a lockdown skeptic. I'm a school down skeptic. We have to get our kids back back into school and keep them there. And we have to also find the ghost children, the hundred, the 93,500 ghost children, get them back into school as well. And I would have a plan of action from the DFE with a task force, literally working with Ofsted, the police, the local authorities uh, and the schools to get these kids back. You know, even if that they knock on the door of parents' houses just to get these kids back into school because we're damaging their life chances. We're de destroying their chances for decades if we don't get this right. Yeah, interesting. Well, time is running out, so we better move on to the quiz. Hooray! Uh, and with rumours swirling of a challenge to Keir Starmer's leadership if Labour are defeated in the Batley and Spend by-election, this week's is all on Labour leadership elections. Oh, my God. So just shout the answer if you know it. Um, in 2007, who was the only MP to challenge Gordon Brown for the leadership? Was it James? No, it wasn't James Pennell, was it? No, oh, I've got it, I've got it. McDonnell. Yes, well done, Paul. It's John McDonnell, but he didn't get enough nominations to get on the ballot. Question number two, who did Keir Starmer back in the 2015 Labour leadership election? I'll, I'll let Rob guess this one. Go on, Rob. I um, bet you get it right. I don't, think should... it was, I don't think it was Corbyn, because I don't think he was that stupid. Um, but uh, let me think. Would it have been... Uh, in the your three, op in your three options are, are Kendall, Burnham and Cooper. Yeah. Was it? Uh, would it have been uh, Yvette Cooper? No, no, it was Burnham. It was Burnham. Oh, Burnham. Yeah. Wow. He well, went for the lad vote. Given that the King of the North is coming back... Looks like yeah, the There'll definitely be a Tolkien reference for that. Um, <laughs> anyway. the Game of Thrones one. <laughs> um, right, final one. Which shadow minister in 2015 resigned one minute into Jeremy Corbyn's acceptance speech as Labour leader? Oh God, um, I've got an idea. This might have been either Jamie Reid or Dan Jarvis. It's Jamie. Oh. It's Jamie Reid. Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry that my Labour Party political history isn't as good as it should be, being <laughs> with MP. Yeah, you can be forgiven. <laughs> sorry, Rob, it's probably not the best quiz for you this week, but well done for taking part. Thank you. I've never <laughs> asked a question. One day I'll come on your podcast and answer a quiz question correctly, which I'll make history. Yeah. What you can tell us, Rob, actually, is where where did Sajid come in the pecking order in the last leadership campaign? We came, we got into the quarterfinals, basically. Quarterfinals. The, so the semi-finals was Gove, Hunt, and uh, Boris. 
and the fight. So we didn't do too badly. I mean, I co-chaired the campaign with Matthew Elliott and we were quite proud that we got so far, you know, knocked out Louis really Stewart and all these kind of people. You did better than Rob as well, didn't better you? Better than, we, yeah, we, 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 we beat Dominic Rob and we beat uh, Rory and, and so on. So we didn't do too badly. You were the Denmark of the Euros equivalent. Exactly. It would be nice to have got to the semis, but, you know, I, 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 we can hold our head up high. Yeah. Will you get to the final one day? Oh, Sajid. Yeah. Oh, Sajid is very happy being in health secretary. And there's no yeah, yeah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Well, on that, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. Thank you to my guests for joining me. And make sure you subscribe to Commons People on all the usual channels. And please be sure to leave a review. Unfortunately, that's also all I have time for as the host of Commons People as I'm leaving HuffPost tomorrow for a new job. Thanks so much to everyone who's listened over the last two and a half years I've been doing this. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And don't worry, Commons People will continue without me. Uh, in the meantime, get your daily dose of what's happening in Westminster by subscribing to the Warzone newsletter at bit.ly forward slash the hyphen war hyphen zone. Well, um, I've been doing this for a few years in which political predictions have almost all been wrong. So I'll just leave you with Lord Buckethead hitting the nail on the head on the eve of the 2017 election. MP Theresa May called this election about Brexit. Have we heard from her what she plans to do about Brexit? No, this is mad. On Thursday, you are going to be faced with Prime Minister May or Prime Minister Corbyn against 27 Prime Ministers from the European Union. It will be a shit show. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.